You're listening to Counsel That Cares, a podcast series brought to you by Holland and Knight's healthcare and life sciences team. With more than 400 attorneys practicing across the healthcare industry, members of our healthcare and life sciences team are on the leading edge of industry developments. This series serves as your personal checkup on the multifaceted playing field of healthcare law and business trends. Welcome to Council That Cares. This is Morgan Ribeiro, the host of the podcast and a director in the firm's healthcare section. We are kicking off a series of conversations on the state of digital healthcare and tech-enabled healthcare services. And on today's episode, I am joined by Jennifer Rangel, a partner in our healthcare regulatory and enforcement group, and Dudley Baker, a managing director and the head of the digital healthcare group at Canaccord Genuity, an investment banking firm. Jennifer and Dudley, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. So before we get into our discussion, I want to take a few minutes and allow each of you to tell our listeners more about your practice and the types of clients that you work with on the digital health front. Um, And Jennifer, I'll I'll look at you to go first. Thank you. I am a healthcare regulatory um, and compliance attorney with Holland and Knight. I've been practicing for about 28 years exclusively in the area of healthcare law. I represent all types of healthcare industry clients in, in a wide variety of sectors, including providers, payers, health tech, digital health, vendors to the healthcare industry, and I could go on. A particular focus of mine is on digital healthcare, including telehealth, remote patient monitoring, and the impact of digital health and tech-enabled healthcare with the myriad of regulations and laws that intersect with this developing area. And I also have a a lot of experience in structuring transactions and, and arrangements and compliance with the court practice of medicine and looking at a super PC type uh, structure and, and where that is required and how you structure that appropriately in compliance with all these laws and regulations and everything from corporate practice and anti-kickback and Stark and whatnot. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and I know we'll talk more about that in a bit, just in terms of how the regulatory and evolving regulatory landscape is impacting what we're seeing as it relates to digital health and not only the application of these technologies, but also what we're seeing um, in terms of deals and transactions. Um, So, Dudley? So, I lead digital and tech-enabled health, as you mentioned, for Canaccord Genuity. We're a global investment bank focused on healthcare and technology in the U.S. Uh, We primarily work with clients across employer payer, provider, and pharma-facing technologies going through a transformative transaction. And that can be a strategic sale, majority recap with a private equity firm, or a large growth financing. Uh, We also are a a top five global underwriter of equities and have a meaningful capital markets presence as well. I have to mention, we partner with a a great consumer practice on consumer-facing health and wellness uh, opportunities as well. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you all for those uh, introductions. So to get us started, Dudley, I want to look to you first to really just give us some perspective at a macro level on the digital healthcare market as a whole. And deal volume um, is down in the space, but that is relative to a series of years where things were at a historical high. So um, we'd love for you just to kick us off and, and provide some of that perspective. Sure, Morgan. I mean, you have to frame it from global M&A uh, after years of quarter over quarter, year over year records um, is down 40% from its peak. Digital health funding uh, down 70% from its peak in 2021. 
one, that's the negative view. But the optimism is, you know, funding is definitely stabilized. You've seen a meaningful pickup in Q1 of, of this year for M&A exits and really interest level around and, and activity around the private equity community and digital health, you know, continues to be there as, as models that were proven during the pandemic, um, which were existing well before that, but really received uh, lots of adoption at telemedicine, uh, virtual care, chronic care management, next-gen primary care, and overall tech-enabled care delivery. Those models have continued to uh, to gain that adoption. And even in, in the midst of a pandemic pullback, you're seeing massive adoption. And so um, optimism is, is, I think, still there in an overall deal market, despite being down over the peaks. Great. Thank you. And so as we look at these deals that are are still happening, what are the areas within digital health where you continue to see investors and strategics interested in acquisitions or investments? Sure. We think of the world in the four primary channels across employer, payer, pharma, provider. I'll pick one in each, you know, where you're seeing a, a large amount of interest across the strategic landscape, you know, which is really dominated by by payers recently. You know, if, if you look at uh, the employer channel, care navigation, the consolidation of benefits, benefit technology and chronic care management has been extremely active in the payer world, you know, provider data management, digital transformation, network management continues to to see interest across both strategics and private equity. Uh, On the pharma side, anything data related and then other other aspects like patient access and really expanding the ability for pharma to, to deliver and then access the patient. And then last on the provider side, anything that helps the health system operate better across human capital management, revenue cycle management, what we call value cycle management, uh, really business optimization software for health systems has continued to see uh, a large amount of interest by the buyer, broader buyer set. I would uh, second a lot of that. Um, Certainly in my practice, seeing a lot of investment in healthcare tech and digital health and anything where we're trying to make healthcare more efficient or focus on patient adherence and compliance and wellness type issues. Also, another big developing area is uh, behavioral health. So certainly there's a lot of focus on text-based therapy and other types of ways to bring behavioral health services to to the masses, uh, given the shortage that we're seeing in in-person behavioral health care. And, and who are the parties that you're seeing frequently pop up in terms of, you know, acquirers, investors, private equity firms, venture funds that are investing in this space? I mean, it really runs the gamut. I have seen a strong, uh, you know, all of my uh, payer clients I work with, they are very interested in adopting technology and investing in developing technology that is going to be helpful in keeping their patient population healthy, keeping them out of the hospital. We're also seeing it a lot in the specialty care space and investment in where you see the intersection of value-based care and a chronic illness population such as kidney care space and looking at patient monitoring and how tech can really help them keep that that patient population well. But I've seen investments just from all all sectors, so certainly would would echo what Dudley's saying. Dudley, any groups in particular that you're seeing that are becoming more and more active in the space? Look, I think it, it depends on the segment, as Jennifer mentioned, that chronic care management and thinking about these big spends in healthcare, whether it's kidney care, MSK, oncology. You know, the payers have been uh, both 
payer directly and through some payer VC backed organizations have been very active in that space across behavioral health. Uh, you've seen the behavioral or the the private equity and venture capital community, you know, really start funding the larger, more successful businesses that are scaling. I think that's true across across all aspects of healthcare, but really tackling these big problems. You're seeing private equity as a part of every transaction across all sectors of healthcare as well. Well, and I feel like our, our friends over at Optum should be mentioned in this discussion too. It seems like they're active in all segments of healthcare these days. Um, just as we've recording this episode this week, you know, they did an all cash offer for a medicine that was accepted. And so, you know, I'm just curious in, in terms of players like that, that have really deep pockets and are able to make such strong offers, how that's really, what dynamic that's creating in the, the deal space right now. So it's interesting whether it's Optum, CVS, Aetna, and really trying to consolidate the care delivery space and create multiple modalities, end-to-end patient management, if you will, in all settings of care outside of the health system. Um, so meeting patients where they are, and you know whether that's Signify, whether that's Oak Street, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the emeticist transaction, you know, really the, the payers trying to, to be in the non-health system care delivery business is, is a key focus area and, you know, one that likely continues. Um, and and then leveraging some of their technology assets around it, you know, at Optum and others to, to really reduce that overall cost of care, whether it's in the managed Medicare, uh, the Medicare Advantage market or others seems to be a, a continuing trend. For sure. And probably, you know, not something I think if we were having this call three or four years ago, that's definitely something that has has shifted in the market. You know, and while venture capital investments in digital health are far from their peak, which you highlighted in, in your intro, investors continue to fund companies operating in, in certain areas, such as artificial intelligence. That is an area that has, has gotten a lot of attention. I mean, even just this year, it seems like that has really picked up. So can can you speak to that? There's certainly plenty of optimism of in artificial intelligence. And look, it's not new to be a theme in healthcare. And I think what has changed with ChatGPT, other large language models, the Microsoft investment, is this opportunity for, for AI to be a co-pilot and really to help optimize uh, healthcare and existing models, you know, which we see as a theme across the board. You know, Jennifer mentioned it earlier, um, this theme of optimization. And, you know, one struggle that healthcare has had is reducing labor as a percentage of the overall revenue and, and cost spend, but also just access to care. You know, if we leverage that labor line and can do so through things like AI and other efficiency tools, we might not solve shortages that are coming on the physician side uh, or the provider side, but definitely have the ability to, to lessen the problem. And therefore, you know, the investment dollars are, are paying attention to that as an opportunity and, and create some optimism around those those models. So I was reading an article recently um, that said six mega deals made up 40% of digital health funding in Q1 of this year. Smaller startups face rougher waters ahead. And can you tell us more about these transactions and the types of companies that were involved in these mega deals? Yeah, again, a theme um, in the investment community is around scale, unit economics. I think we've transitioned from what was a disruption and growth phase 
in uh, 2018, really to till the end of, of 2021, um, driven some by the utilization drive and increase in the pandemic to that optimization phase and unit economics phase of, of, of healthcare. And so you've seen that in established businesses uh, or more established like a monogram um, that are receiving outsized investment dollars relative to some of the more startup in nature businesses. Um, and then, you know, some of the other deals around human capital management, really driven by those labor shortages and, and continuing issues of staffing and turnover in all aspects of healthcare. Right. And Jennifer, anything you'd add to that? I mean, we talked about chronic care management and, you know, kidney care as being an example of that. Obviously, the monogram transaction has received a lot of attention kind of in healthcare circles um, since that that occurred. But anything else you'd add to those, those mega deals and, and sort of what that speaks to for the space? Yes. I mean, I think there's a focus on consolidating healthcare, but also I think the latest trend I've been seeing is in the primary care space and, and really how to deliver primary care via telehealth. And we're seeing in some of these mega deals as well as in the smaller deals and, and as things continue to grow and develop, a focus on, on primary care as in addition to specialty care and kind of figuring out how do we bring healthcare, you know, to the person if they can't get to the doctor or, or they're going to go to the ER instead of going, you know, doing a telehealth visit and, and how to develop those kind of ongoing relationships as opposed to just urgent care via, um, via telehealth. And I think that's kind of a focus that I'm certainly seeing start to develop. And we're seeing a lot of the, that kind of be thought about in some of these mega deals. All right. So we can't have a discussion about deals and trends and, and digital health transactions without talking about deal multiples and, and valuations. So Dudley, can you give us a, an update on, on what you're seeing um, as it relates to multiples and valuations? No surprise that this is a, a constant topic of discussion across every conversation we have. The dynamics of the market are, are more around a binary outcome versus a pullback in multiples. Um, what we're seeing in the market is, is the businesses out that have strong unit economics, uh, solid go-to-market strategies, manageable sales cycles, near profitable or profitable, not just on an adjusted basis, but on an actual basis. The multiples haven't really pulled back from the peaks. And, and you could argue that some deals that are focused more on majority recaps and have real scale might be at or above peak levels of, of M&A activity from 2021. But on the flip side, you know, companies that have not proven out unit economics that have uh, an inability to go raise follow-on growth capital that are looking to sell. Those have been uh, more challenging. And, and we've actually, as a firm, been very selective on, on even taking some of those on, even in spaces where we've we've talked about that have really interesting opportunities and long-term positive trends, because investors and strategics alike have really gone from market building opportunities, smaller companies to more established players across the board. Right. So Jennifer, I want to switch over to you. You know, Dudley mentioned in his intro, obviously 2021, all healthcare deals across various segments were at an all-time high, but in particular in digital health, and a lot of that being as a result of the pandemic. But what has shifted over the last, say, three years or so from your perspective as you're advising on digital health matters and whether that's with providers, technology vendors, payers, you know, other actors in this space, just from a a regulatory standpoint, how have things shifted over the last few years? Well, they certainly have shifted. I mean, I think regulatory compliance has always been one of the biggest challenges because when you are a 
a company that's operating across jurisdictions, and you're considering both federal laws as well as laws in 50 states plus D.C. that they have to consider, analyze, and be sure they're complying with. We certainly saw a, a loosening of many of these regulations. We had waivers under federal law and certain state laws with temporary licensing or the ability to practice across state lines was made much easier. Telehealth requirements were certainly loosened. Uh, With the end of the public health emergency and pandemic, certainly there's been a strong shift to enforcement uh, we're seeing enforcement for you know fraud and abuse that occurred during the public health emergency, and, and then kind of a renewed focus on ongoing compliance. I think some of the areas that my clients are trying to to navigate, and, and it's a really long list, so I was just going to highlight a few of them: is you know core practice of medicine, how do we practice across state lines, physician and nurse practitioner or PA licensing, when when you need a collaborating physician for a nurse practitioner in order to prescribe. We've seen those laws change um, very quickly in many states. Um, where there's been some states are loosening those requirements, so some are making it very difficult. There are a few states that require, you know, in-person um, meetings between the nurse practitioner and the physician. That's very difficult in the telehealth market. And then, of course, HIPAA. We did see some loosening of the HIPAA restrictions to enable telehealth during the pandemic, but now that you know that's not an option, and we're seeing renewed enforcement in the in the HIPAA area as well as kind of a focus on the tech component, uh, Facebook pixels and Google analytics and how, uh, as well as all, there is a multitude of other types of, of products and things that do the same thing. But what data gets shared back with these analytic companies? We've seen recent OCR guidance in December, as well as class actions across the country. Um, information blocking is another focus, certainly with the recent OIG enforcement rule that was just published this week. Uh, there's a lot of focus on information blocking. And then the things we've always had to worry about, like in a kickback, stark law, state mini kickback laws, teleprescribing. I mean, as you can see, there's just a ton of regulations out there that depending on what the product is, they really have to navigate. And it's not just in one jurisdiction or a federal law, it's across you know, a huge platform. And then you look at things like AI, where you really don't have a lot of law surrounding it. So that's still developing and it's figuring out how all those, um, how those laws might apply to it and, and where that's headed. So a lot to navigate for uh, digital health clients. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like the the regulatory landscape can be a little murky at times, as you mentioned, you know, for newer technologies like AI, where it's just not as established. And so, you know, ultimately how that impacts their business and, and Dudley, I know we'll talk about this in a minute, but how that impacts your world and sort of how they've set up these companies, oftentimes very high growth companies, kind of newer models. Well, this makes sense. This is how healthcare should work. We're going to revolutionize the way that healthcare is, you know, delivered. <clears throat> and so I think that that really understanding the nuances of the regulations as we know them to be today um, and sort of preparing for, you know, what's to come. So I do want to, you know, ask you as kind of a follow-up question on that. It seems like that in order to be an attractive target, digital health businesses or tech-enabled service providers need to have their house in order and to be able to demonstrate to prospective buyers that they have worked through these regulatory and compliance matters. So Jennifer, can you speak more to that? I mean, are you seeing that deals are being slowed down or even ultimately dying because of these regulatory issues? 
Um, sadly, yes. Um, in fact, I had one die just last week, specifically over regulatory issues. It, it kind of depends on the size and sophistication of the company, but many smaller digital health companies, even if they've grown really quickly and during the pandemic, they uh, they may not have focused on regulatory compliance in a meaningful way. Um, and they may not. And then I guess the other thing I want to point out is that they have a very sharp learning curve now to try to come into compliance to make themselves an attractive target. Um, so navigating all those regulations, um, the enforcement environment we're in today, state level enforcement, it, it's really difficult. Um, it's difficult for smaller clients who may not have the deep pockets to do that, despite how fast they may have grown. But they also really haven't maybe put that framework and structure in place. So making sure you have strong HIPAA compliance and not just you know a certification that, that is effective or you think is effective, just really understanding what are your risks, where where do you have Facebook pixels or Google Analytics or other types of analytics on your websites. Um, there's just so many things to, to navigate. And we're finding that, you know, a, a lot of digital health companies that are now interested in taking investments may not have done all that legwork initially because maybe they grew so fast or they're small or they just haven't been able to focus on it in an efficient way. So it makes it really hard. So yes, I mean, we're going in and diligencing these companies and finding, you know, maybe HIPAA compliance is an issue or they really don't have HIPAA policies and procedures, even though their technology and security might be great, but they don't have the, the policies you have to have in place or they haven't, they haven't done the homework to know they're in compliance with all the telehealth regulations on a 50 plus state basis, um, things like that. Or they may have done some, but not all of it. So it's really kind of getting them ready uh, to, to take an investment or to you know, move to the next level um, and really meet those regulatory requirements to be able to stand up to diligent scrutiny and, and give a level of comfort that they are in fact doing everything right. Right. Dudley, have you, what are you seeing on your end as it relates to regulatory? Look, I can't overemphasize the importance of what Jennifer just said. Unfortunately, it doesn't really lead to premium valuation um, because your house is in order, but it's table stakes. Buyers and investors and private equity, partly driven because of the efficiency of, of transactions over the last decade, are just more sophisticated around things like regulatory compliance, bringing in the right advisors. And you really want a smart investor, a smart buyer looking at your business who has the lowest cost of capital uh, from a risk perspective and therefore can pay the highest price. They will not skimp on things like regulatory and compliance and, and, and put up with not having your house in order. So it ultimately, it becomes a binary outcome to the negative if it's not there, not necessarily a purchase price adjustment, unfortunately. So critical to have these things in order. And one thing I would add on to that is that, that uh, buyers are so much more sophisticated, as Dudley just said, on bringing in consultants. So there's been so many PE companies that have been burned over the years with reimbursement issues and audits. So they're really doing their diligence in a way that they uh, you know, weren't maybe 10, 15 years ago. And that makes it really hard. And there are some things that you can fix post-closing. So if there are a small issue that they think they can deal with and, and get the right regulatory framework in place, either before closing or shortly thereafter, you know, that's sometimes an option. 
Uh, but it really has to be a situation where the, the target and the investor can come together and agree on what is required and, and how to get it done and where the risks lie. And is it something that you can fix quickly or easily? Or is it something much more complicated that's really just structural? Great. And as we kind of continue this conversation around issues that may come up that you know ultimately impact deals, I mean, I think the loan environment obviously has not been great um, economic conditions in Q1, you know, kind of looming recession, all these conversations. Um, Dudley, how's that impacting your world? It's definitely a factor to consider. We started seeing some cracks in the syndicated loan market, you know, over a year ago and really through the Citrix transaction in, in August timeframe of last year. But in true reference and an example of creativity of the sponsor community, really, have seen some creative financing structures and solving things you know, like that lockup in the syndicated loan market, the issues around SVB, where both private lending and even in a couple examples that we've had where private equity firms have, have actually put in credit uh, financing themselves and then look to refi that post-transaction later once the banking market opens up. But look, it's still a factor. Uh, the cost of capital uh, has gone up across the board, both in debt and equity. And so that is uh, another reason for, for some of the slowing. But you, uh, you've you seen a little bit of, of opening up of that with that the, the private market coming in to, to really stand up for the, that gap in the syndicated loan market. All right. So what's your outlook for the remainder of this year, Dudley? I'm a constant optimist. Um, we're solving big problems. I mean, healthcare has big problems. There's a lot to do. There's been a lot of money thrown at it uh, over the last five years, some of which will not have a return. But there's some successful models out there. And, and again, if, if you look across the channels that we track, there's subsectors within each that are, are continuing to get interest across the board and uh, the near-term pickup in transaction activity leads me to believe the back end of the year is going to be uh, be as uh, more active than than we have been earlier in the year. And again, with, with a few trillion dollars of unlevered private equity capital, plenty of which is focused on healthcare, digital and tech-enabled health, and we're going to continue to have uh, bets being made in the market. And I think the strategic landscape probably looks a little bit better from an activity perspective as, as both the payers and even some of the, the general tech firms continue to look at healthcare as an opportunity. Jennifer, anything else you'd add to that? No, I would completely agree with Dudley. I mean, I think we will continue to see consolidation, continue to see growth in the digital health market and in deals, you know, in those areas. They may certainly be slower than what we've seen in the past, but I there's so many, you know, great uh, companies out there that are doing really innovative things and doing it well and doing it right in compliance from a regulatory perspective. And so I think that is, you know, very good for the, for the market and certainly uh, we'll continue to see those sorts of, of deals. So I'm hopeful yeah, that the second half of the year will be um, even stronger. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, as we kind of as this evolves and, you know, as the regulations become clearer, hopefully that becomes easier to, to be in compliance when the laws aren't constantly changing. I think, you know, post pandemic and, and during COVID, that was just shifting constantly and being able to keep up with that was was quite challenging. And, you know, I, I agree with Dudley. I think it's just such an exciting time for the industry. There's a lot of great innovation that's happening out there. I think 
there's a lot of fixing that needs to happen in the space. And with that comes a lot of opportunity. We're going to have some some follow-up conversations to, to this one around, you know, the SEC's oversight, FTC's involvement. And as we look at cybersecurity and particularly how that impacts companies in the healthcare space, where there's often, you know, HIPAA involved and, and, and other kind of aspects to, to patient privacy. So more to come on this front. Appreciate you all, Dudley and, and Jennifer, joining us on the show today and, and look forward to future conversations. Likewise. Great to be with you both. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Council That Cares. For more information on Holland and Knight's healthcare and life sciences team, please visit hklaw.com forward slash healthcare.